Relief ripples across the parish at EU CCP agreement and a delay in open access. That clearing rule pragmatism comes thanks to Croatian competence as the USSEC gears up for data revenge. Albeit from Germany to the USA, regulators were rebuffed and even ridiculed as German banks begin to panic that the EU will damage 27 financial markets by shutting the dominant UK out of finance post-Brexit transition. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Coming first to Paris news this week, well, Adina Friedman thought-led once again, now is the time to build a more inclusive economy. As she said, until our employees look like the people we serve, we are holding back our own performance. This is a virtuous cycle of opportunity. A perfect line surmising why diversity has always been a sound business practice, both for the bottom line and for realising economic potential throughout the population. In the parish, CCP news dominated during the course of the week. Indeed, just a week ago, the European Association for Clearing Houses, each CCP, launched a creed de cour, an open letter, and each note on CCP recovery and resolution, let's make markets safer, not weaker. It was a final throw of the dice after an incredibly tense negotiating period. And indeed, by the time we reached the next podcast, the news was good, ladies and gentlemen. Clearing Houses, Presidency and Parliament reach political agreement on recovery and resolution. The European CCP Industry Association each led with a creed de cour last week. The good news is that once again a small EU state has had a coherent and successful EU presidency. The leader of these negotiations, the head of markets at the Croatian FSA, Anna Maria Stanicic, deserves plaudits for a dogged and consistent approach to making markets better. Given the EU's track record of overindulgent bracket creep, to put it mildly, with dismal initiatives such as MIFID II, the resolution here is as close to common sense as we can arguably expect from the EU's often infuriatingly zealous approach to regulation and its reliance on the precautionary principle as a backbone of delivering the resultant economic stasis evident in the Eurozone during the past lost decade of growth. Now submitted for endorsement by Member States Ambassadors to the EU, a few I's may be dotted and T's crossed, and such like, but substantive change is not going to happen. Given the uselessness of the EU's actions when in full swing, QV, recent daft transport edicts aimed at helping the usual Northern Europeans protect their high-earning truckers, and thus raising everyone's freight costs and emissions throughout the European Union bloc, Croatian officials have done very well to draft a relatively balanced solution which vitally keeps taxpayers' money away from CCP resolution by broadly preserving the robustness of clearing houses, which had grown up before the EU even became aware of them. Well done, Croatia. Congratulations once again to Anna Maria Stanicic. A small, dedicated country can do more than the full European Commission machine. QV Malta's successful presidency of 2017 as another example of how small nations have often risen to the challenges of presiding over the EU for their designated six months. The EU might be advised to learn from how its smaller members can often prove so much more efficient than large centralised entities. Fortunately, one group of sensibly centralised entities we all know, love and need in the parish, the CCPs, will be breathing a sigh of relief this weekend. 
knowing that the diligence of each has helped ensure our markets are at least not further materially damaged by EU inconsistency and overreach. Moreover, the European Union, thanks to the Croatian presidency, have delayed the opening up of open access. To every rule, there can be an exception. In this case, the EU's unstinting ability in the era of Mrs Merkel et al. to kick the can down the road results in one excellent piece of delay. Soon, methinks, this open access rule may die the death of being engulfed by crises and new priorities as the ugly battle for economic survival kicks off in earnest. And indeed, the UK's CCPs will hopefully benefit from the current glasnost movement to curtail the excesses of MIFID II coming from within the heart of the UK Treasury. Over at the SEC, they've now made an announcement. They've signed an MOU. Of course, it's a historic memorandum of understanding in government speak with the Antitrust Department. That's all aimed at fighting back against recent court losses over the issue of market data. Naturally, SIFMA, the US Sellside Industry Association, who retain a firm stance that they believe in lunch being free, tend to have a Carly Simon song in their heads when it comes to believing the markets revolve around their members. They issued a fairly pious statement applauding anything which allows them to get a de facto subsidy. Hopefully this historic memorandum of understanding will lead to absolutely nothing, but there are two clear conclusions we can draw so far. The blob, as it evidenced by the SEC, dislikes being told it is wrong by courts, particularly very senior courts indeed. Equally, cakeism remains the high-calorie focus on the list of sell-side perceptions of entitlement. Reuters had an exclusive, although it was hardly surprising this week, Britain and the EU will miss the deadline for future financial market access agreements. Unsurprisingly, and ultimately a wobble for the UK, but highly damaging to the EU's growing euro crisis, as well as symbolically curious given the clear EU rules on recognition which the UK clearly fulfils. Perhaps Brussels could put a few of those highly productive Croatian officials on the case and we could have it all sorted by Christmas. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. The next target in the Battle of the Bourses is being highlighted as the Italian exchange. Why is that? Because the antitrust authorities have decided to refer the London Stock Exchange's attempt to buy Refinitiv, and it looks as if the EU might decide that the price in blood they wish to extract is the extraction of Borsa Italiana itself from the nexus of one of Europe's largest exchange groupings, the London Stock Exchange Group. Sebon, the regulator in Nepal, has formed a committee to study how to reopen the Nepal Stock Exchange. So that's great news. A committee to examine how to reopen the stock market. A textbook example of the government nexus ensuring economic dynamism, management accountability, speedy action and of course huge efficiency. Or D. None of the above and another few months without a functioning stock market. Neufund, they issued a creed de cour this week. The crowdfunding platform turned token issuer. Their CEO, Zoe Adamovich, has thrown in the towel and started a pivot away from trying to be a regulated digital platform. In her own words, Neufund has always fought for financial equality and open access to the capital markets for everyone. Current markets regulation manifests an outdated paternalistic standard over-reliant on the wealth of so-called sophisticated investors, which makes the investing available to a limited few. Since the beginning, it has been our business practice to actively engage the politicians and financial authorities in a dialogue about the opportunities of new technologies, which would open access to the capital for both investors and entrepreneurs. 
We've been active participants of the discussions held at the Bundestag, engaged BaFin in a dialogue about our platform and blockchain solutions since 2016. We've been patient to their months, delayed decisions, last-minute requests and announcements that harm the business. But the last months showed that financial authorities are not just slow, they are paralysed with fear of new technologies and avoid any dialogues or decisions hoping that someone else, like global corporations or other countries, would deal with it. Together with our investors, we agreed that there is no reason to wait for the institutional changes. Today we have announced the freezing of all upcoming fundraising campaigns and started working on a new product, which will let us continue bringing values to our investors and community. A creed occur indeed from Zoe Adamovich, and I sympathise, albeit I might not have spent so much time or money before realising the regulators within many nations of the EU, as well as arguably at ESMA level, are at best disingenuous, if not incapable, of seeing the future from beyond their fear bubble. Note, Neufund had also partnered with the Malta Stock Exchange a couple of years back in another apparently stillborn venture. Certainly, sad news for the business of raising capital for SMEs. Results this week, IHS Market reported a mixed bag of second quarter results. When you look at the marginal earnings beat by IHS Market, it ought to remind exchanges why data franchises are great things, but occasionally a dose of excitement can be delivered by having a trading venue or several report wildly volatile high volumes. Elsewhere in deals this week, Charles Schwab completed the acquisition of Motus Technology Capabilities. And in mergers, as I mentioned earlier, the European Commission has opened an in-depth investigation into the proposed acquisition of Refinitiv by the London Stock Exchange Group. A key risk to this deal was always becoming bogged down as a political football in the tiresomely childish Brexit negotiation, where the EU has all the fervour of a spurned spouse and a last little of the rational thinking to achieve more than chaos as a result of their petulance. LSE is the loser, whatever happens here, as timelines are delayed and resources must push forward on this sadly delusional deal. Rather than actually getting to grips with modernising LSEG across the board for the next era, the C-suite are, again, doubling down on being the equivalent of the world's largest second-hand car lot for other people's data. A terminal outlook when acquiring a lot of terminals nobody will be using in a few years. Or, to put it another way, a cloudy outlook hangs over the LSE while everyone else learns to love their clouds. And more of that later. If you're looking for some reading during lockdown, COVID-19 is a killer. Can it kill your career or is that the impact of fintech destroying your business? It's a victory or death world of risk and opportunity. To understand how technology is affecting life and markets, there's a new book to help you. 20 years on from the excitement of the original fintech bestseller Capital Market Revolution, it's time to look at some of those loose strands hanging around which need a spot of perspective. Whether you are an exchange parishioner, a fintech professional, or anybody just trying to stay abreast of where technology is now driving investments and finance. Victory or death, blockchain cryptocurrency and the fintech world is an easy read explaining the differing and diverging role of banks and exchanges, explaining the winning business models of the new world order, and placing in perspective just what Bitcoin, blockchain and cryptocurrency mean for markets. 70,000 words of pure play, PLY pith, pacily discussing matters of moment and revisiting the original trailblazing first fintech bestseller, Capital Market Revolution, which when published in 1999 proved, even if I say so myself, rather prescient. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital world, hence the title Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times for finance in which we are living. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Meanwhile, while you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, after the podcast, try our Pugcast. IPO-Vid, in Patrick's opinion, comes to the small screen with a series of investor videos, with my guest star, Toby the Pug.
Kumex scandal this week. A second former Freshfields partner has been charged in the German Kumex probe, while two more hedge fund managers have been targeted in the Danish Kumex probe. Over in Cryptoland, well, it would be remiss of me if I didn't note the fact that I wrote an article, The Copernican Revolution in Finance, dating back to, well, the very early days of Bitcoin and my experience with it. That was published over on Medium. Elsewhere, the Gibraltar Global Stock Exchange Group were approved for trading platform status in Malaysia. It's an interesting first move in the exchange space for the Labuan IBFC. Congratulations to the International Business Financial Centre CEO, Farah Jafar Crosby, on welcoming Gibraltar Stock Exchange to this interesting Malaysian jurisdiction, which I first visited in its infancy many years ago. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Product news this week, a rash of new products. China's new low sulfur fuel oil contract jumped to good volumes in its debut day. The Bursa Istanbul is launching the first non-market cap weighted stock index. CME Group and B3 of Brazil will jointly develop a new soybean futures contract for the global markets, and IPO reforms in Chinex will start by September. Meanwhile, elsewhere on the other startup major board in the star market, the Star 50 Index will be launched in Shanghai. Almonds, they're the new future from the BSE, uh, days after they announced options trading in gold and silver. Over in India still, SEBI have made fundraising easier for stressed companies and the Dubai Gold and Commodity Exchange will launch the first FX rolling futures contracts in July. Euro dollar, cable, Australian dollar, US dollar perpetual contracts will offer traders greater access to international currency markets with clear and transparent regulations. Jim Rogers, that famous eminence grease and hedge fund manager of years gone by, He's announced that he appointed CQG as the index calculator for the Ricci Enhanced Commodity Indexes that he created. And finally, last but not least in product news this week, MSCI will enter Kuwait stocks into the Emerging Market Index in November. Cracking week for technology. One interesting regulatory conundrum, a WordPress plugin is now operating in over 300 WordPress sites worldwide, delivering a de facto cryptocurrency exchange. However, from one form of distribution to another, this was truly the week of the automated cloud. Nasdaq led with an excellent story by their heads of the technology business, Why the Future of Financial Markets is in the Cloud, which was published in Fortune. An excellent surmise which led on two great announcements, one from Nasdaq coming up in a moment. But first, Xbury, a new player in the exchange matching engine business, launched a multi-asset class exchange infrastructure. That's been backed by Israeli tech company OM2 Group with the appointment this week of Magnus Almquist, formerly of Aquas, as head of exchange development. Ranging from national markets to digital tokens, the advantage to Xbury is its scalability to reach down to the micro-exchanges, which I first christened 20 years ago. 
A segment too small for the big players, I think. This tech stack has potential, delivered as a matching engine as a service concept, allowing clients to reap the full benefits of a cloud-based or on-premise solution. Next day, it was Nasdaq's turn. Nasdaq launched the Marketplace Services Platform. A software-as-a-service platform purpose-built to operate marketplaces everywhere. Any asset, anytime, anywhere. A useful software service from Nasdaq formalizing something that has been ostensibly feasible for some time. This adds to the expiry announcement of the previous day and must be good for the creation of new markets across the world. In crowdfunding, one interesting manoeuvre is happening there. Peer-to-peer lenders are gradually abandoning the retail peers and focusing more and more on institutional capital. I thought that was always absolutely inevitable and first circulated in notes to investor clients by myself, ooh, 15 years ago. Regulation news this week. Britain is bolstering its regulatory powers to scrap LIBOR. And it also set out how it will regulate the city after Brexit. Encouraging news, dropping things in insurance such as Solvency 2 as a first step and kicking out some of the worst excesses of MIFID 2. Encouraging times, the UK looks to be on, well, a mission to better understand the world of British finance post-Brexit. Wirecard could prove a final nail in Baffin's coffin was just one of many headlines this week. Difficult to go into this story in too much detail given the time we have, but spare a thought for James Frice. He was due to become Chief Compliance Officer of Wirecard on July the 1st. In fact, he got dragged into his new office on Thursday, June 18th and was, by the following day, CEO. Spare a thought for the former DB1 Chief Compliance Officer, who may be ruining even the relative calm times of dealing with the controversial incompetence of Car Crash, who was accused of insider dealing despite running a major European stock exchange. Either way, the Wirecard crisis has made history. Wirecard filed for insolvency just as we were about to record this podcast, becoming the first company in history to go straight from the blue-ribboned DAX index to bust in one fell swoop. Gosh. One week on, six days on as CEO as we record this. I wonder, has James Fryce paused at any moment to ponder the merits of moving from Deutsche Börse to Wirecard? In People News, Hester Serafini is a welcome new appointment as president of IceClear Europe, promoting her from an interim position running the European business, where previously she ran the US business. Congratulations to Kevin McClear. He's been appointed president of IceClear US, who moves over from his current role as chief risk officer, where he will be replaced by Joanna Rowe. Equally, a new CCP12 clearinghouse board looks very, very strong indeed for the world of CCPs at the global level. And Euroclear had several directorate changes. Very interesting to see the chairman, Marc-Antoine Othman, after eight years in situ departing the company, just as there is a big governance upheaval with review pending for Euroclear. The great game is afoot as Euroclear tries to find it soon to develop post-bank future, methinks. Last but by no means least, two interesting and divergent tales of people in regulation. Nikhil Ratti, he's leaving the London Stock Exchange, where he was the boss of the exchange platform itself, to return to the blob. He's going to be the new chief executive of the FCA. Ending, of course, that interesting story where Ashley Alder seemed to have been floated as the new FCA CEO in the news media but then ultimately decided to stay for another contract with the Hong Kong SFC. With Andrew Bailey moving over to lead the Bank of England, the interim CEO of FCA, Christopher Willard, hands over the reins to Nikhil Ratti, who was running his stock market, the LSE, after a career as a Mandarin in the UK Treasury. 
Over in the USA, the SEC's Jay Clayton, he seems to be trying to manoeuvre back into the seat of being a lawyer in New York, in this case as US Attorney for the Southern District of New York during the course of a rather controversial firing process. Either way, with the SEC having lost several court cases of late, Clayton may have damaged his reputation whether he proceeds to seek nomination or not. The German Banking Association, BDB, they called for the EU to prioritise equivalence rules in discussions surrounding the UK's upcoming exit, arguing they are vital for achieving market and financial stability on both sides. A clear common sense approach to building a sound relationship going forward which avoids the potentially ruinous damage of locking EU27 out of London's world-leading financial market structures, where the EU already recognises equivalence with many perfectly sound but vastly smaller jurisdictions. And in the week, the Wirecard fiasco raised all manner of questions about German regulation. Are we entirely surprised the German Bankers Association is looking to the UK standards as being at least equivalent to those in the European Union post-Brexit? And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a great week in life and markets. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thanks for joining me for this, the 51st EI Weekly Podcast. We'll be back next week. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.